from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Irwicker, and we're here with Pastor Steve once again, uh, talking Hello. about his launch of our new series, Guardians. Yeah, it's a short one, like two weekends. Yeah, that's it. Do you like the short series? I do. It's kind of nice, huh? Especially when they are more vision-oriented. It sounds kind of funny. You would think that should go on and on and on. But it's more like just a reminder, kind of a new way of saying what we've been saying since since I took over the church. So, yeah, it's a, it's, I'm excited about it. It's one of the ones I get really excited about, though, is just kind of coming back to vision and mission. And So that's a lot of what we're doing is, is the vision and mission this week. Is that intentional with the kind of the new beginning of the school year and the routine year? We used to do it twice a year in September now and in January, but we actually made a decision last year to only do it in January. And then I, but then this last January I trumped it by doing the walking in the dark series about um, losing chase. And so then um, I felt like we had a whole year of no vision casting whatsoever. And so I felt like we needed to come back to it. That's good. Yeah. Well, especially after coming out of a really long summer series in the Psalms, doing Wholehearted and then Guardians kind of back to back. I don't know what it's like for people. For us as communicators, I was tired of Psalms. Mm. I got to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) I I was. I was like, oh, another another message in Psalms. I wasn't even around for the last four of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're thinking. All right. Rethink for next summer. There we go. (laughs) We're thinking and talking about these things much more than someone who hears one message. Exactly right, Evan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're literally talking about four messages every Tuesday, every Wednesday. And so we hit Psalms a lot. Um, and And it's probably fine for the church, I think, that a 10 week. Was it ten week, twelve week series? Yeah, Whatever it, was it was thirteen. Yeah, it was thirteen. Yeah, I preached man. week number thirteen. All the responses that I got were great. I usually don't get a lot of negative responses though. But yeah, from the staff, you could feel the fatigue in the teaching team meetings, especially. Is all right. Here we go, and we're back again. <laughs> okay. So speaking of critical feedback, what is the appropriate way for someone who doesn't like something? to critique it. Cause I don't know that, that we give people a lot of like, Hey, here's a helpful way that you can say, eh, not so much. Yeah. I guess it depends on the relationship that the person has, um, with the communicator. Um, a lot of times if they don't like, if they don't have any relationship with them, then it can kind of like, you know, who are you and what are you, why are you talking about this? Mm-hmm. Why is it bad? You know, or whatever. But if you have a relationship, I think it's good to, um, you know, always start with the positive, you know, never start with a negative and never right after the service. Um, even I would wait, I would wait a few days even, you know, because if, if a communicator gets it on a Monday, it's, they're already depressed because they felt like they didn't do anything the day before. And so give it, a, <laughs> give it a couple of days and even, even sit on it. Um, and before you give feedback, um, and cause that might change the feedback as well, you know? Um, but definitely, oh my goodness, when people come up to me right after the service and start giving me negative crit- it's critique, feeling. it's like, what am I going to, what am I supposed to do with that right now? I mean, I'm going into the next service and you know, that kind of a thing. So I, I always, when people do that, I usually ask them to email me later in the week. Mm-hmm. How much do you listen to people that you don't know when they, if they, if somebody gives you a negative critique or a lot of negativity about the church or whatever, if you don't know them, how much credence do you actually give their opinion? I listen to all of them. Ben, I, for sure, I don't ever just immediately go, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) But I all, cause there's something, there's probably truth in any, any, what Mm -hmm. somebody's saying. Um, and if one person's saying it, there's probably 20 other people that have thought it. And so I always listen. Um, but I do take that into account 
Um, if the, if the person is, is, you know, their first time here and, or maybe they're not really connected and, um, they're, you know, they're, you know, they're sitting on the sidelines quarterback and, you know, and they're not involved. Um, you know, I'm not even sure they have the right to say too much, you know, but that said, I still listen to, to it all because I think there's room for me to grow no matter what. It's good. When I've gotten critiques on my speaking, I feel like there's two categories. Either people don't like what I say or people don't like how I say it. And I'm always trying to be sensitive. If I was insensitive in how I said something, I think that's fair no matter who says it. Like, mm. hey, if somebody felt this way by what I said, okay, I could probably be more sensitive or reshape how I say it. But it seems like a lot of times if the critique is on what you were actually teaching – that's a whole different level yeah. of like, and it's helpful for, yeah, and it's helpful for people to know that there are a number of people that are already in that process mm-hmm. with me and with the other speakers that are giving input even between services. Uh, and that, that it's, and it's good, you know, I mean, there, and it's not always just, oh, that was so good, Steve. Right. You know, it's like, hey, I wouldn't use that story or, hey, that's actually not true, what you said, or, you know, <laughs> you quoted Google, but that's not really accurate, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, there are people. Um, on the team watching for that stuff. And so that's, I think it's good for the church sometimes to know that. One of our speakers, I won't say who it was, uh, (laughs) shared a story um, and said, my friend, and told this whole story, uh, but I found the story on Snopes as an urban legend. What? And he didn't know that it was an urban legend because he heard it, you know, secondhand <laughs> from a friend and thought it was their original story. Oh, it was no. not. It had made rounds on the internet for like 15 years, you know? <laughs> and so, so we do have, you know, we're looking out for each other to yeah. say, hey, Snopes that because it's not true. I was know? listening to a preacher because um, I'm doing a message and some, on the Lord's Prayer in a couple of weeks, and he uses this story about this family in Georgia, actually a location in Georgia that got caught in a, a forest fire, and they burnt a, a round patch of ground, and they stood in that patch that was already burnt, and the fire passed them by because they were staying in the burnt patch. I'm like, wow, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I could not find it anywhere. It didn't happen. I don't think it happened, you yeah, know? And yeah. so I can't like, you know, tell that story <laughs> as if it actually happened. Cause it's a great idea. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. But it's like, I don't think that's probably true. <laughs> well, in the volume of, of stories and anecdotes and illustrations that you'll go through in a year, it's a lot of research. You know, yeah. if you were, if you were writing a book, to cover the amount of content you do as preaching, I mean, that would be a lot of research. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure to... There is. And people are paying attention. Yeah. I, I think I said I said something about Jimmy Swaggart and Jerry Falwell in prison or got in trouble. You remember when they fell? Yeah. It wasn't Jerry Falwell. It was Jim Baker. Yeah. And I had that in my notes, and I was like... I just, but I said Jerry Falwell. And so, yeah, I got a, I got a, a nice email from someone saying... <laughs> You know, I know Falwell's not perfect, but I don't think he was in jail, you know? And I'm like, yeah, whoops, my bad. Actually, I heard that in that message. I was like, I didn't know Jerry Falwell had a moral failing, huh? but I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up for Was you. it Jerry yeah. Falwell or a relative that contacted you about? Uh, no, uh, no. Well, Jerry <laughs> Falwell's dead. Well, so. that's why I said a relative yeah. after I said that. Initially. You know, his, yeah, his passing actually just was a blip on the screen. Mm. And interesting. I mean, this was last, this last May. Yeah. I Crazy. mean, Junior is still running things, so. Yeah. There's that. But anyway, um, in your message, you talked about how the church has moved out of relevance in society uh, from the center of the community as you kind of drew out on the whiteboard. And you talked about how the church has now moved out to the outskirts, the suburbs, both physically 
and in its effectiveness and relevancy to communities. Great drawing, by the way. Thank more you. art <laughs> on weekends. If we could, more, please. More, of more that. art. That Everyone's be- clamoring. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Not, not for my art. Before you preach, you could be the, the artist on the side <laughs> doing the paintings. I think that'd be good. I, I, need, <laughs> I need some practice. We'll give you some crayons to do it. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about this idea of the church having moved out of relevancy and... Off the top of your head, Steve, what do you think are kind of those key moments, maybe in the last 30 years, 40 years, where the church has has made steps that have put them away from relevancy hmm. in community? Can you think of any moments? Yeah. Like, yeah this every, every time we make uh, something, that's, something that's not an absolute, an absolute, hmm. every time we've done that, we have inched our way outside of this of the conversation. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, seven days of creation is literal. So we say it's literal. It's seven days. That's what's happened. That's that's it. And we're not willing to even budge a little or even have a conversation with someone that believes in old earth. I mean, that puts us, stuff like that, Evan, mm-hmm. puts us outside um, the conversation as irrelevant. Um, they don't know what they're talking about. Man, these, these people are holding on to a really old book that's out of date. And so we're putting the whole thing in some in some ways at risk, though it's the gates of hell won't come against the church. So we're not, but in the sense, you know, we're, we're, we've actually put ourselves, we haven't been put out. We've put ourselves out there. I think by holding to certain things that um, maybe we didn't need to hold on to. Why do you think we do that? Because it, I feel like you have a di- couple of different kinds of people in the church, you know, where, where you start to say even something like that, say, well, you know, this is not necessarily an absolute. And a lot of people would reference, you know, the, the poetry involved in a lot of those areas of the Bible. And, and there are some people that would stand up right away and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, are we a progressive church now? Like, uh, yep. where, where do we fit in the spectrum? Why do, why do we, we, we want to hold on to that stuff so bad? Because we think it's a slippery slope to Buddhism or something else. We think that we're going to lose our faith because we have because we question one thing that we've held to for for centuries in the church, and and we start to question one thing. Well, then you're going to question everything. Listen, I'm not going to question the resurrection of Jesus Christ ever in my entire life. I'm going to hold to that, and that's what the early church did. They held to the resurrection of Jesus, and Paul thankfully did not hold to any Jewish rituals, any Jewish teaching to reach the Gentiles. He just didn't. It did not, it was not part of his ministry. And yet we hold on to so many things that are in the Old Testament that um, are hurting us. And it's hurting the gospel. Jesus is a stumbling block. The Bible shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But we've made it a stumbling block because we put it at the front of the line instead of him. And as, as I read through, especially the book of Genesis, not just creation, but the whole book of Genesis, uh, you realize that you have to interpret it as something other than this is literally um, everything that's going on because it's not written necessarily that way. And there's some crazy stuff that goes on all through the Old Testament that you have to, if you're reading it and opening your eyes to it, mm-hmm. you have to realize like not all of this can even be read in the way that some people would say, oh, this has to be read as fill in the blank. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Evan. And I, I, I heard Andy Stanley um, last Monday Went to a one-day conference, flew down to L.A. to listen to this guy, and I was like, "This is this better be good, man." We're, I'm spending some money on this thing, right? <laughs> and he talked about how the Old Testament has been fulfilled. We don't need it. It's a history book, and it's an important one, but we don't need it. 
Well, I, you guys, I was like, and he's a Southern old Southern Baptist guy. And he's talking about how, um, we need to refocus our attention on the gospels and, uh, not even as much on Paul's writings. He didn't, he didn't go that far, but that's, so it's very interesting. And I think we spend too much time in the old Testament. Are we going to keep preaching from it? Absolutely. But it's, it, it, its purpose was to show us why Jesus had to come. It's, mm-hmm. it's done that. And so our preaching of it should do that, mm-hmm. not anything else, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And probably listening to that, some people, maybe not the ones that listen, but uh. if you said that from, <laughs> from a we'll stage see. on a weekend, uh, man, that'd probably ruffle some feathers. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to spend some time on it probably in January where I really unpack it. Um, as Andy did in the, in the, in the, the day the conference I was at, he he took forty minutes of going through scriptures and teachings of Jesus to show that to make a case for that, um, and uh, and so I it deserves more than just a two minute blip on a on a sermon that I I kind of referred to this last weekend. You know, it deserves way more than that. So to to play kind of the other side of it though, because I do growing up in the church, you say something like you know, and we don't need the Old Testament. You know, my little church kid soul starts to go. <gasps> and, uh, uh, but I think about the other side of it and I think about, uh, especially I'd spend a lot of time with young adults and people are trying to think about a lot of this stuff, especially in the current political climate and moral climate that we exist in. And they, I think that would set a lot of people free to say the words, to say the words essentially that it, it, it does fulfill a purpose. It's not meaningless. It's not just, it shouldn't, we should just rip our Bible in half and not no. say it exists anymore, but to say that it fulfills exactly the purpose, which was to tell us how desperate we were in need of Jesus. I think that sets a lot of people. Free. Yeah. And Jesus actually said that he came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So he wasn't even trying to get rid of it, but, but when something's fulfilled, it's what it's done, right? It's finished. It's good. I mean, we did it. Yeah. When I run a marathon, it's not like I'm going to go back and run another marathon. I finished it. I'm done. So there's a sense of that. We don't have to go back and try to use it like, like the Old Testament people did. But I also think in Acts 15, it's an amazing moment. The church was doing the same thing that we do with the Old Testament. They were doing that with the teachings of Moses. Mm-hmm. And Paul comes in, says what God's doing in the Gentiles, and they say, let's not make a barrier for them to come to Christ. Which, right. And they were saying they don't have to follow the law of Moses. And yet we do. We do. I mean, it's still front and center for the Christian church today because wow. we're so connected to Judaism, which, by the way, are the ones who killed our Savior and Lord. Mm. So I don't know. I just think I think we got to be a little bit more cautious of just embracing Judaism as part of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Christianity came from it, and it's important for us to know our roots, but not to be um, attached to them still. So that, and then... <laughs> Everybody okay out there uh, listening? Yeah. Are we okay in here? <laughs> I'm really enjoying the... I was having a reflective moment, okay? Um, but that, that led essentially into the conversation of about, um, and, and Evan referenced it earlier, about the role of the church in society today. You know, are we kind of on the outskirts? And uh, where does the church need to go from here? Because there are some that would say, 
I want my president to be a Christian and I want prayer back in schools and the 10 commandments need to be on the walls and the church needs to be here and the church needs to be there. Um, I'm not always convinced that that is what it means by having an influence in the community or in society. Where does the church go from here in order to be as effective as we really need to be? Man, I go back to Jesus's teaching, salt, light, and yeast, a city on a hill. These are images and metaphors that he used to describe us as the ecclesia. And we've got to go back to that. And that means a little bit goes a long way. And it's not that it's not everything. The yeast is just a part of the of mm-hmm. the whole. It's not like we've got to get everybody back to the you know, to our Judeo Christian roots. We need to bring Jesus in the in little little ways to bear yeah. on how we lead businesses and how we you know, how we um how we do school and how we connect with family and friends and how we do relationship. We just need to bring Jesus into the mix, not the Bible as the law, as the rules. We need to bring Jesus into it. Mm-hmm. We have created way too many barriers between culture and Jesus that now they don't even think they can have him because yeah. we've got the market on him. You know? It's true, and it feels like there's this barrier because, and I think often it comes down to not because we've brought Jesus into it and he's become too big of an influence, but it's because we've brought too much of the religion into it and not enough of the love of Jesus into it. I think the Jesus that people imagine when we say his name in a lot of those contexts are not picturing the same thing that is actually written about in the scriptures, that there's a disconnect between the actual person of Jesus and a lot of what we were even talking about with the laws and a lot of the ways of the Old Testament that people think of when we say the word Jesus. So the importance of getting the real gospel and the real Jesus, it's not just if we could get the Bible back in these desks, in these schools, then everything would change. But instead it's about bringing Jesus. Well, every time, and especially in America, every time you make someone feel like you have to do this or that, or, or you're wrong or you're bad or you're evil. I mean, you might as well, you might as well show them the door out. I mean, they're not you, every time you make a, an absolute statement or this is a statement that affects everybody just because of who we are in our culture. They're like, I'm not, that's not me. That's not me. So why do we keep doing it? I mean, it's keeping people away from Christ who is, I mean, the thing, I mean, he's the guy, he's the one we want people to connect with. And why are we making it hard for people to find him? Because we're, we're saying you have to do this or you have to do that. Or we have to get back to, Man, the way of Jesus is compelling. It's compelling to everybody. It really is. So why don't we why don't we focus in on those things? I mean, you know, be good to one another. Love your enemy. Radical stuff, right? But yeah. we focus on so many other things. And so we lose the message of Christ in the midst of all of our other messaging. And I think I think getting back into the center of our community means getting Jesus back. And I think there's this image uh for some that Jesus back in our culture and society means we're all wearing Christian t-shirts and we all have a Jesus fish on our, our bumper stickers or, you know, our business cards. Less Christian t-shirts would be nice. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But what do you say, you know, to this, this image of this revitalized Christian subculture that just kind of takes over and now everybody's, you know, reading a Christian book on the beach and, and now Jesus is back. Um, right. Is that even a desirable outcome? Yeah. Right. No, we've branded Jesus. So in any brand is a separate, you just, you're creating yourself, you're creating a distinction by branding something. You're saying that this is that and nobody, and that's, and that's really distinct. Why can't Jesus be infiltrate every aspect of our lives? Why does it have to be this subculture, this microcosm of a larger culture? Why, I mean, why can't, why can't he infiltrate 
every aspect of it. And I think every time we try to make Christianity a subculture mm-hmm. of the larger culture, we're losing. We're yeah. losing ground. We're, we're focusing on the wrong things because then we've got to keep that running. And now we just, now Jesus gets lost in that too, you know? And, and who's going to read a shirt and get saved? I mean, who, <laughs> you know? And to be honest, nobody, Preach. I mean, we need to get people connected to Christ. Right. That's how people get tra- changed and transformed. It's not by reading a shirt or even, yeah, I'm not going to say what I was thinking, but it, it's just, yeah. it's not about, about that, that, getting people into the culture, into the subculture of right. Christianity. We used to go into Costco when I was a kid, uh, me and my brothers, and we would turn all the radio stations on the stereos to a Christian station. <laughs> and in our minds, I mean, we were fulfilling yeah, you the Bible. Yeah, huge influence. I mean, <laughs> changing lives, Evan, right Pray there. Pray for our kids Changing lives. In and if you're in Christian radio, God bless you, but I don't think that's going to change our city to have all the radios playing Christian music. Yeah, who's listening to the Christian radio stations? Christians. Right. Who's going to the Christian movies? Right. Christian. Who's wearing the Christian t-shirts? Yeah. See, this is where we're losing the battle because it's not about Christians being more Christian. Mm-hmm. It's about getting Jesus into the fiber of, of people's lives, and that's not going to happen until Christians live out. And it's about Jesus. I, I think the problem is we have this unspoken alarm clock in our minds as Christians where we have this obligation for evangelism. I think it's where some of the weird door-to-door stuff came from when we were kids, you know, and I'm all about ministering to your neighborhood and your neighbors, but there's something about showing up at the neighbor's doorstep and giving them a brief sales pitch and trying to get them to come to your harvest party that isn't as effective as going over and trying to be a part of their life somehow, you yeah. know, just actually stepping into the day-to-day instead of, I want to sell you on this one service, this one thing, and if not, well, that's fine. You're going to hell, and I just won't walk across the street no, to let say them, hello to you Jesus anymore. said, let them see your good deeds, and then they'll glorify God in heaven. If we're going to do anything in our community, it should be some good. You know, it should be getting out there and feeding the hungry and helping our schools and volunteering, you know, um, in different areas and getting involved in the social organizations and going in and praying for the city council and stop by there and say, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, it's, it's getting into the fiber of our culture, not trying to get people to draw them out and into Christianity. You know, that's the goal. That's the goal. No, it's not the goal. We need to get in there and, and do good so that they'll see God. Right. And it's not at the expense of the message of Jesus, of course. I think some people would view even what we're talking about as, oh, well, you're just soft and you don't want to actually talk about the real gospel. That's not the case at all. We just believe that the most effective thing can come from an actual relationship with people so that the gospel of Jesus can be shown, not just a simple sales pitch. I think sometimes, especially right now, we we get so caught up in, and maybe we even start with this idea of Jesus and the gospel and Christianity, but then we grab onto this vehicle that all of a sudden becomes our own God. You know, right now for a lot of people, you know, being a Republican becomes the vehicle for Christianity, which is not the case at all. Jesus has zero relationship with Republicans or Democrats. <laughs> That's not the thing at all. And we want to grab onto flag protests and which side we're on, and then we bring Jesus into this yeah. as opposed to actually using Jesus as the reason itself and the vehicle itself to go out and to reach a broken and hurting humanity. Yeah. We lose Jesus and all of these other other things that are happening. Exactly. And then the world looks at us and go, oh, the Christians, they're the people that hate the black people who kneel for the national anthem. It's like, no, that's not the relationship that we're trying to create between Jesus and the culture. Yeah. A good example of this yesterday, Heather, our uh, admin for student ministries, 
uh, got the call um, from an organization. She does relief work. And so on Saturday, she heads down to the Caribbean for a month uh, to work in a hospital there on Dominica or somewhere in there. Yeah. And I was thinking, as I was talking to her about it yesterday, uh, man, that's a way better thing to do. Not that everybody has the skills to go be a nurse in Dominica, but mm. that's so, so much more effective as a way to express where you're at than maybe going on Twitter and just blasting people. You know, and I thought, man, if this was the image of what the church would do, maybe yell a little bit less and do a little bit more as mm, far as good. reaching needs and, and serving the poor and, and, and just do it, yep. uh, maybe maybe we'd be more relevant. And Absolutely. especially for people like us living in Northwest United States that are mostly a bunch of white people who, mm-hmm. I mean... At least in Bend, sure. Yeah, at least in Bend. And who who's in office has almost zero effect on me. Like in my life, mm-hmm. it, it's just how it is. And so maybe even, you know, checking on these other situations, listening to other people going and serving in these other areas, maybe opens our eyes a little bit to what the gospel can actually do instead of, you know, just kind of white Christian America getting on our Facebook soapbox and talking about how we feel like uh, our feelings are being impacted in these. Yeah. Moments. And I think it has to be not just individuals going to do these things, individual Christ followers, but the church they, that there's a sense that the church of Jesus Christ is moving into these arenas, not just individuals and not just business leaders and marketplace leaders and school teachers that are out there, you know, trying the, trying the hardest to live like Jesus and be a light and salt in their arena, right? But is the church behind it? Is the church around it? Is, are they in it? You know, do they feel like they're part of that? What they're doing is connected to the gathering of the believers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think there's a disconnect even in, in our culture, in our Christian culture of people doing good and the church on is a, is a city on a hill that's separate from. Mm-hmm. And right. so these, we've got to connect these two things. And, and that's part of what this series is about as well is to help. Okay. I'm part of this larger thing called the church and whatever I do out there is, is linked closely linked to um, the ecclesia. So what would you say to some people out there that would hear what you just said and said, well, I under, I know why the connection doesn't exist. It's because the Christian church is now being suppressed, that our message has become something that cannot be spoken out in the middle of our, in our nation or in our current culture. What would you say to the person that's saying the church is actually being suppressed? Uh, well, that's an interesting thing because so the church is being suppressed. If that's what they think, then they think the church is, is something that it's not. The church is individual lives linked together by Christ doing. So, for instance, a business leader, a business owner, Christian business owner, uh, do they have any limitations on what they can say about Jesus? None. Mm. None. They can, they can talk about faith in him and life in him and the way of Jesus as much as they want to. School teachers, can they? They actually can. It's not like, it's not like you're not trying to say, well, this is the only way and you got to do this and you're, you're going to get a bad grade if you don't. There is room in our culture. But what we've done is we said, okay, well, let the church, capital C, big church, big mm-hmm. stage, big lights, you know, let them do it. And if they're not doing it. Well, that's never how it was supposed to work anyway. I think it's the individual lives that are out there um, communicating the gospel. I'm not being, I'm not suppressed. I'm not suppressed at all. I'm not suppressed on my, on the stage here at Westside, but I'm not suppressed in my neighborhood. I'm not suppressed in my school's kids and my, my kids' schools. I'm not suppressed. 
There's nobody saying to me, don't do anything good. <laughs> don't. And if you do, you can't do it in the name of Jesus. Right. Nobody's saying that. That's so good. Yeah. What about this concept of kind of a contradiction? If we're saying that we need to both be separate and look different and act different than the rest of the world, not be worldly, and at the same time, we need to be engaged in the community in such a way that we're relevant. Some people... Um, would really see that as a contradiction. You can't be separate and apart at the same time. Well, yeah. So um, are there two different ways to raise parents, uh, raise kids? Absolutely. There's multiple ways to do that, right? There's multiple ways to live life. And I think once we get out into the community, the way of Jesus should begin to be seen as separate because it's different and, and arguably better Right. And so the way that we do business, the way that we lead, the way that we govern, the way that we teach in our schools, the way that all of that stuff, if we did it according to the way of Jesus, I would, I argue it's a better way than any other way. So it's not, I'm not trying, I'm not, but, but, but what if we go out there as Christ followers and we just adopt the other way, you know, of I'm going to get what coming to me and I'm going to make sure that if I have to lie a little bit, I'll do that. You know, just to get, to get ahead, you know, I'm going to adopt some of the practices of our, no, that's, I think that's what that means. Don't do that, but get in there and show that the way of Jesus is actually a better way to live, not the rules and the regulations in the old Testament. Let's put that to the side, but just the way of Jesus looking at that is a better way in every aspect of society. So we're not going to get, I mean, if I go play in the dirt, it's not like I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to leave and I'm gonna, I'm never going to get the dirt off my hands. <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> come on, what are we afraid of? You know, is Jesus not a little bit bigger than mm-hmm. the problems in, in our culture? You know, and it's understanding, I think where that line is because Jesus himself, just by becoming Jesus came into an actual world. You know, he left heaven, the perfection of heaven came down and he actually put skin on and he ate what we ate and he walked where we walked. And, and I think a lot of people want to think, well, you know, I mean, worship pastors wearing skinny jeans. I mean, Justin Bieber wears skinny jeans. So this is, <laughs> this is worldly practice that's happening here. And I think when, when great, Jesus, great example, ben. <laughs> this is the perfect example. I'm feeling persecuted in my life. <laughs> Um, ben, if you're wearing skinny jeans, you deserve to be persecuted. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, bad example. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but seriously, I think it's about where we're drawing, where we're drawing these lines. You know, I, when when Jesus was talking about overcoming the world, I don't think he was talking about so that you can overcome the fashion sense that the world has. I think he was talking about the real actual sin that's in the world. I think he's talking about the hate for people. I think he's talking about a a lust that is driving force in our society today. I don't think he's talking about some of these little things that we're trying to so get caught up in so that we can feel righteous and holy. I think he's caught up in the sin. I grew up in the seventies. I'm a kid of the seventies. I mean, I'm just that I'm in the eighties. I'm, that's who I am. I don't have, so I dress that way. I, I think that way. I mean, I'm not. And so the way of Jesus has impacted that. But, but what I'm, what I do get worried about Ben is when I see pastors trying to be something that they are not in order to relate to the culture. 
We don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. We do not have to do that. Matter of fact, I think people can see right through that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's, so when I look at some of the, um, you know, some of our worship leaders or whatever, and they, and they look like the culture, the reality is, is they're 20 somethings and they look like all the other 20 somethings because they all grew up in the same era. You know, it's not like, well, I got to, you know, now if I started dressing like a 20 something, one of you better tell me that's not working. That'd be highly offensive. (laughs) That's not working for you, man. And, you know, and just because we need to be ourselves in every context and, and let the way of Jesus, um, kind of direct us. And by the way, he's not going to, you know, pinpoint, you know, what kind of jeans we're wearing. Right. He's going to be focused on some bigger issues than that, how we're serving, how we're loving, how we're giving, how we're sacrificing, uh, for others. That's what he's going to be focused on. That's good. And what Jesus pushed against, he pushed against paganism, <laughs> you know, worldly, sinful, lustful living, but he also pushed against the religious community just as hard. Yeah. And so you have Jesus finding this, harder, yeah. Yeah, finding this new way. And I think, um, I think of that kind of new way. What is the new way? Not let's become u- uber religious, not let's just embrace every sinful, carnal pleasure the world has to offer. What's the way of Christ? Not even in the middle. It's it's separate from it's both separate. of those things. It's another way. It's a completely different way than what we've seen. So I do get concerned when I see Christians on either extreme where they're just, they're, I mean, they look like, you know, the missionaries that came to visit in the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. that were dressed a certain, that just, they just look like, wow, that. I'm concerned about people that are completely out of touch, but I'm also concerned with people who are so in touch, there's no distinctiveness about them. Mm -hmm. And so there's something in the middle of this that I think what you're saying, Evan, is right. There's the way of Jesus is another way. It's a different way. It's not like any other thing. And uh, and how we live that out uh, in relevant ways is super important. And what you're talking about too is is something. It's it's you can't tell you can't tell the difference and that comes out in their soul and how they're living and and how they're speaking you know of course it's not just an an outward appearance kind of thing but you can experience it from their soul it kind of comes back to what Bo was talking about with wholeheartedness you know you know wholeheartedness when you see it you know someone that dances with all they've got when you see it you know when someone preaches with all they have when you see it, that wholeheartedness, and we can check up on that self and, and help hold ourselves accountable in that as well, that we're not just becoming the ways of the world for the sake of being quote unquote relevant, but we're still living this wholehearted life. And, you know, these are some of the things that we come up, up with as we're, we're in the culture itself. And listen, there are people in our community who are living the way of Jesus, that, but they don't know Jesus. And Jesus would say to them, as he did in the Bible, you're, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. And he would say that to people that were living out his value system without doing it, you know, because in the relationship with him, because they just want that way. They want that good way. And he would come to them and say, you are so close to the kingdom of heaven right now because of how you're living your life. Um, and then maybe there's just one more step. And to believe in Jesus as your, as your savior is probably the only step they need to need to make in their That's life good. because they're already living his way. Mm-hmm. Maybe more so than, for instance, the Sadducee that you mentioned that Jesus spoke to in the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, nice to hear that none of us have anything to say on these issues. Um, of course, today... Is it over? A lot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, probably everybody listening probably disagrees with something that we said today. So I hope so. I hope we, would, so. we would love to hear some comments. So if you have something to say about what we just discussed, please comment anywhere uh, on the website, on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear it. Um, You can hear Steve's message at westsidechurch.org. Catch up on that and check us out again at behindthemessage.org.